Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. We're going to be in Luke 14, so you can turn there. We're going to read from chapter or chapter 14, verse 25, uh, through the end of the chapter there, to 35. Have you ever had to make uh, an adjustment where you wonder if it's worth it, like with your car? If you have an older car and it breaks down and you have to put money into it, you know, and it's like, okay, if I have to put a couple thousand dollars into the car, is it worth doing that or would I be better off getting rid of this car and then taking on the responsibility of a new car, even though it's got probably more money in it at some point, like where does that balance out. I've had cars that it seems like every time it was empty in gas, it it was more money to fill the tank up than the car was worth. You know, it's like, I should just total the car now while I'm ahead before I put the gas in it. Or when we had the kids and we had to get rid of our Honda to get a van because we can't fit all the kids in our car. And so you're having to do, is it worth giving up what we like to what we need? And you have to make those adjustments. And then you think, well, yeah, for our sanity to be able to have the kids and not have to take two cars, it's worth getting the van. Even though we liked our Accord, it's worth getting the van because we need to take everybody. And this kind of idea of what it's worth is really the point of what Jesus is starting to talk about here. Let's start in verse 25 again in chapter 14. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Just pause there, these words, and allow them to kind of resonate. Here he's got a lot of people. I mean, you would think, oh, right, you've got a great thing going. You've got a movement. How can you keep this going? This doesn't seem like the way to do it, right? If I want to keep everyone interested in what's going on, I'm going to tell them they have to hate, you know, Father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even their own life more than me. All right, this is kind of strange and kind of really upfront. And then his, you know, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
That's a very sharp visualization to the people who are there who know what the cross is about. And so he's saying something that is meant to, to strike them. And we'll talk about it a little bit more because it's hyperbole, right? It's an exaggerated uh, stance to try and make a point. He's not telling us to hate people. He's giving us a comparison, just like when he says, unless you pluck your own eye out or cut your own hand off, you know, if it offends you. He's not telling you to mutilate yourself. It's hyperbole. It's exaggerated speech to make a point, and he did it a lot. And we have to be able to acknowledge it when it's there, otherwise we're going to get in trouble, right? Jesus told me to hate you. Sorry, Mom. You know, get out of here. Those kind of things. That It's not his intention. You know, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, first take the plank out of your own. Plank in your own eye? That's almost comedic, right? It's like, what are you saying? It's trying to illustrate something in an exaggerated way to make a strong point. And so that's where he's at here. In verse 28, he says, the parables now are connected to what he just said. This exaggerated presentation that he just made, he goes on and gives a couple of parables to help us further understand it. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt without taste is worthless. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These statements are meant to challenge the multitude of people who are there. A lot of people were following Jesus because of the miracles. A lot of people were following Jesus because he fed thousands. And so they wanted to be a part of this. Everyone likes to witness something that's special, something that is extraordinary. It it captured the attention of all these people, but capturing the attention doesn't always capture the heart. And a lot of people are just looking at him, wanting him to perform something to excite their minds, to excite their imagination, to excite their emotion, but they're not really serious about who he is and wanting to follow them. And he is trying to cut to the quick. He's trying to help them to see what needs to take place so that what would be beneficial for them can actually take root in their life. He's not saying these things to chase people away. He's saying these things to wake people up. He's saying them to wake us up. He's trying to say these things to help us understand. And the first thing is, if you love someone else more than you love me, 
you're not worthy to be my disciple, right? It's a, a strong thing to say. And what he's talking about here is if you, if the love you have for someone else dwarfs the love that you have for me, then you've got it reversed. You, you've got it wrong. He's not saying to love someone else less. He's inviting people to love him more. Okay, and he's trying to help them see how important it is to love him more than to love what they already love, which is father, mother, children, sister, brother, right? The family. If this is what's precious to you, then you need to see me as more precious. And we see this take place throughout Jesus's life and his ministry in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verse 46. We see that while he, Jesus, was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so at first, this can seem a little callous, right? His family's coming to see him. In Luke's gospel, I believe it is, it says that his family thought he had lost his mind and they were going to try and take him. And then he says here, you know, who is my father and mother and sister? You know, it's everyone here who does the will of God. He was not excluding them from being family. He was actually including the others to being a part of his family. So even though it seems callous to us, as if he's, you know, being exclusive to his family, he was actually being more inclusive to everybody else. He's saying, you guys are as much my family as well. And he's not saying that he will not care for them. He's saying he's going to care for them in the midst of caring for what God has called him to do. So I will care for them, but I got to care for what I need to do as well. And you guys are what I need to care for. You are now my family. And we see that that was the truth because at the end of Jesus's life, when he was on the cross, when he was going through the intense pain of the crucifixion, John's gospel tells us in John 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which was John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus gave charge to John to take care of Mary, his mother at the end of his life. So it wasn't like him, oh, she's not important. No, it was his mother. He took care of her. So his point isn't that you should love these people less. The point is you need to love me more. We see that James, Jesus's very own brother, became the pastor in Jerusalem. We have his epistle. Jude was also his brother, who wrote the epistle to Jude. And so we see his family believed in him, which to me is an amazing thing, right? His own family believed who he was. That's gotta be the hardest thing is to convince family. But they believed. And so it wasn't that he was distancing his family. 
This isn't love others less. This is love me and others more. This is the invitation. You seek belonging in your relationships because that's what we seek. That's what family means to us, right? We, we want people who are close to us, people who we can confide in, people who really know us and still love us, even though they know us. We want that. And what Jesus is doing is inviting us into that relationship, but the, he is the better part of belonging. He is the, the belonging that brings with it a deeper sense of understanding a deeper wisdom in relational connection, a, a deeper love that we're able to give because of the love that we receive from him. And so when you think about who you love the most, which is probably in that category, right? It's probably someone who's part of your family. And Jesus would say, unless you hate them, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Understand that what he's saying is that I need to be so important in comparison so that when you love me, you understand really how to love them. And it gives us an understanding of what love is. And so he goes on to build on these two things where he talks about the family and hating them. And he talks about bearing our cross. And first he talks about building a tower in verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So when you desire to build a tower, right? Anyone here desire to build a tower? What the heck are you talking about? A tower represented something of protection. You would build a tower so that you could actually look out, kind of an observation. So if you had a field or something, a tower would be able to see if a band of robbers or something was coming, and then you could protect what you cared about. And so that's the idea. We don't have towers today, or at least in my home I don't. Um, but it's for the protection of your family, but useless if you never finish it. I think a kind of a more modern equivalent is like if your girlfriend lives 20 miles away and you fill up your gas tank with 10 miles worth of gas to go and visit her, then you really aren't caring about your girlfriend. In other words, you're really not going to see her. And so what you say is important to you you're not really doing what's important. You're only filling your car up with however many miles a gallon you get for 10 miles, you know, in your car. You're not doing what's necessary to really do what you're saying you want to do. So if you really want to love your family, but you don't actually do what's necessary, you're failing to love as you should love. See, he's helping us to see the importance of his, I need to be important to you because if I'm not important to you, it's like not finishing that tower. It's like you want to protect, but you're not able to. It's like, I want to see my girlfriend, but I don't have enough gas to get there. I want to do this, but I'm not really able to do it because 
there's something insufficient. I can't build the tower enough. I, I can't fill the gas tank enough. I'm not able to get the job done that I need to, which is to love them as I should because I don't have the resources I need unless I have Jesus giving me and filling those resources. And so he's helping us to understand why he's saying what he's saying because it would be foolish to try and build something but not be able to complete it. It would be foolish to try and love people without the ability to really love. And if God is love, how can you love properly if it's not God who is at work in you showing you how to love genuinely? So as much as you love there is a depth of love more that we see in Christ giving himself for us, right? This is the love that he demonstrates for us. And then the second parable about the king has to do with kind of bearing your cross and coming after me. Verse 31, he says, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I believe that Jesus is saying here that I am the king with 20,000 men. And the kingdom of God is coming. You can either take the invitation to make peace with me and with the kingdom that is coming, or you will lose all that you have. It's stupid to go against him. You can't win. Your 10,000 will never meet his 20,000. So wouldn't it be smart for you to send out a delegation? And it's actually not even them. It's talking about a king. You're just living in this province. What you want to do is make peace with the one who's coming so that you can actually be a part of this new kingdom. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on the new kingdom. You're going to lose your kingdom and your life. Wouldn't it be better to make peace? He's not telling the multitude of people to stop loving. He's telling them to love better. He's not telling them to stop following him. He's telling them, you need to follow me better. You need to follow me further. You need to give of yourself more. This isn't something you can take lightly just like you wouldn't take this situation lightly. You need to make peace with me because my kingdom is coming. I wonder what gets in the way of us following Jesus all the way. What are the things that hinder me from being all in, of giving myself fully, of taking these parables and, and recognizing the importance of what Jesus is saying, that he doesn't want 
me to follow him casually, that he wants me to follow him seriously. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness, where I just cannot let go of something because of the hurt that I have. And it keeps me from loving as Jesus wants me to love. Maybe it's an addiction or something that I love more that dominates my life. And it's foolish to think that this, whatever it is, this addiction that's only 10,000 men strong will have any stand against what God is doing that's way stronger. It would be stupid to hold on to something that cannot stand up to what's coming. Why am I holding on to those things? And I just think sometimes I get coached by stupid, right? It's like anger coaches me. Yeah, they don't deserve it. You know, Jesus wants me to forgive. Yeah, but they don't deserve forgiveness. And so I'm letting stupid tell me what to do. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that, right? Or you have an addiction to something. It's like, oh, you know, this is going to satisfy my life. Well, it's it's stupid telling you that it's going to satisfy your life. And it's saying, oh, yeah, all you need is this drug. All you need is this drink. All you need is this pornography. All you need is whatever fill in the blanks. All you need is this to satisfy your life. And stupid is telling you what it it needs to fill your life. And here comes something that's much stronger, and you're saying no to it because stupid is whispering in your ear, don't do that. I'm enough. You can have enough doing what you're doing. You can be happy enough doing what you're doing. You know, it's very interesting when you deal with affluence or people who have affluence of how much is enough, right? I mean, how many cars do you need before you'll be happy? Well, one more that works better than mine. That's what, you know, it's like, it's always something more. How many people do we know of who have been famous, wealthy, had all that the world said that they needed, all that the one kingdom said was enough, and it wasn't? And they were listening to stupid, saying, this will be enough. Keep seeking after this. Keep putting your stock in this army Keep loving these things and it'll be enough for your life. And Jesus is saying, it's not enough. Your family may be great, but it's not enough for your life. In fact, you will not love them enough if you're making them your God. Whatever it is, that is not enough. Your job, your success, your happiness is not enough to satisfy your life, the kingdom's coming and you'll find all those things fall short. He goes on and he says, 
Verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's interesting. There is no word in the Greek for saltlessness. Right? There was no word to say it's lost flavor. The word actually in the Greek is the word moreno. It's the where we get our word from, moron from. It means fool. In fact, when they translated the Hebrew scriptures to Greek in the Proverbs where it says fool, they translated this word, moreno. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's saying the same thing. The saltless will say in their heart that they are the king of their own kingdom. You see, it means foolish. It means stupid. And so here's the idea of losing its flavor. It's actually foolish. There's nothing you can add to make salt salty again, right? What do you do? Add more salt? It's like, what? no, you can't. It's lost its flavor. It's not good for anything. It's one of those things where you can't add salt. That's stupid. You just get rid of that. You're just adding more salt and you're adding it to something that has nothing of value to it. It has no value. It's stupid. And I think that Jesus really is being a little comedic here. I think he's intentionally trying to be even a little bit irreverent in some of the things that he's saying to, again, make a point. Another thing that salt was used for was to help flash start fire. And what they would use instead of charcoal would be like cow pies, right? They'd get manure, put salt on it, and the minerals in the salt would allow the fire to catch so that that manure can burn. And so the minerals and salt actually would help to start the fire and help it to burn better. So what Jesus is saying is that if you're someone who says that you want to follow me, but you love things more than me, if you say that you want to follow me, but get your identity from what you want to do and not from who I am or what I'm doing, if you say that you want to follow me, but are committed more to everyone else but me, you would ruin crap. I think that's really what he's saying. I think it's a little comedic, and I think it's intentionally meant to be like, what? Yeah, you would ruin crap. You would make it of no value because that's what those words mean, right? It's not good for soil or for the manure pile. What's not good for the manure pile? Something that's less than manure. You would actually ruin manure if you don't recognize my importance in your life. And so... They're strong statements, but I think it's meant to be funny. I think it's meant to strike them. It's meant to cause them to think, wow, you would actually bring the value of manure down. 
And I think, again, it was meant to be irreverently humorous so that the people would think twice about what they are doing following Jesus and how important he is asking them that he needs to be in their life. And so he says, so listen to what I'm saying. He who has ears, hear what he's saying. If, if you hear what I'm saying, then hear and do something, right? Any, anything less is saltless salt. Anything less is meaningless. It's what James talks about. Faith without works is dead. It, it can't do anything. It's saltless salt. It's a meaningless, a meaningless life. He, he has come to give us a meaningful life. And how long will we keep pursuing things that are meaningless and not hear the invitation of Jesus for something that is full of meaning? He's not saying this so that we can choose whether or not we like what he's saying. That's not really an option. His kingdom is coming and it's not going to be overcome. The gates of hell will not prevail it. He's not saying, well, choose this, you know, otherwise you choose your... There is no other choice. This is really the only choice that is there for you that will be of value to you. This king is coming. He's got 20,000 men. Make peace. But this is a different kind of kingdom. It's different than the kingdoms that they thought of, and it's different than the kingdoms that we think of. When we think of these kinds of things, yeah, we think he's coming on that white horse. He's going to destroy all these things. He's going to set everything right. But you see, his revolution began on a cross. His revolution began when he gave his life. The kingdom that he started is not being overthrown with power and might. It's the meek who will inherit the earth. But it's going to happen. Will you be a part of it? Will you allow it to shape who you are, your character, to become like his? Will you be like his disciples and follow in his footsteps, love the way he loves, forgive the way he forgives, care the way he cares, give your life the way he gave his life to the cause that God had put before him? It's what he's calling us to do. And that's big. And so, you know, breaking that down a little bit, because we hear things like that, and it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, okay, I'm to love Jesus more than anyone else. Does that mean I abandon my family and go on a mission field somewhere? No, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about love your family the way Christ would love your family and love others the way Christ loves them as well. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. It's even like we were talking about Sunday. You know, God isn't trying to segregate and say who's right and who's wrong. He's trying to have us love our neighbor who is before us, whoever that person might be. He's actually trying to open up the kingdom through us. It's a different way to lead. It's a different way to live. It's a way that includes 
what Jesus cares about into everything that we care about. You know, I, I think about some of the, the folks who are part of Genesis who have to care for their parents right now that they're elderly, who in our times where we've talked recently have shared the the difficulties that they have and the frustrations, like they'd love to just serve God, but what do I do with this obligation I have? You know, is Jesus asking me to to go on, you know, mission and to neglect these things? And, and no, I don't think that's the case. I think what he's asking you to do is love them and still go on mission. I think he's asking you to allow him to give you love for them, but don't limit yourself to just those things that you have more to give than maybe you even realize. But that's a lot. That That's taking a lot out of me. Yeah. And it's also pouring a lot into you. You see, when I stop moving forward and, and living for this good news, this gospel, when I stop being a part of furthering the kingdom of God and, and I start to be complacent or or comfortable or I need my time and I I need these breaks. I'm in danger of losing the vision that God is wanting to put in my heart. I talked about it a couple weeks when I mentioned Denise now that she's retired and she has started the nonprofit in Haiti and she's going to Haiti and she's doing things. She's also caring for her mom. You see, and it would be really easy for to say, you know what? I'm just going to take care of my mom. That's enough. And I'm retired now. And, you know, Dennis and I can go and do the things that we want to do. And, and then we'll have our time. And then I've got my mom. And that's enough. But it's not. It's not enough for her. See, God's put a passion in her heart and she's seeing the reality of being a part of the kingdom that God is doing as she's doing it in Haiti. And that is actually giving fuel for her life. I'm sure in ways that she could probably share more than I. Is it exhausting? Oh, you bet. It's costly. Is it worth it? You bet. It's the destiny that we've been called to. What What is this being a Christian about? If it's not furthering the cause of Christ, what is it about? How can I further the cause of Christ in the world that I live in? Well, it's got to be with my family. It's got to be with my work. It's got to be with the people I interact with. It's got to be with my neighbor. That should keep you busy. That should keep you plenty busy. You see, but otherwise, you lose your saltiness. And how do you get salt back? If you become saltless, you're not fit for even a pile of manure. That's not meant to put you down It's meant to wake you up. 
to see that the value of your life can be lost when you're just trying to find your own life, when you're just trying to live for yourself. You can end up becoming of no value to yourself and not even notice. Any questions or thoughts? Heavy parable, huh? Yeah, I think it means to live like he lived. To follow Jesus means to continue what he was doing. You know, his he was ushering in the kingdom of heaven. What was that? It was caring for people. It was a, a, a loving justice, right? Throughout scripture, God has always heard the cry of the poor, right? Whether it was, um, uh, what's her name? When Sarah and Abraham kicked her out, the Hagar, he heard her cry, right? He heard the cry of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. He's always hearing the cry of those who are, you know, hurting. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to, to bring salvation to the poor, Whenever we see those things, we know that God is already caring about those things. And so that is continuing the work that Jesus did, right? We, we are the ones, you know, there's so many things that as we start finding out about the early church that aren't really in scripture, but are what left impressions on the non-believing world when the Roman people would have children if they didn't have a son and they were wanting to continue their name, many times they would just throw the girls away like trash. And the Christians would go and raise them as their daughters. And then the Romans would see the Christians taking what they saw as trash and treating it like family and it left an impression. Think of how difficult it is for someone who's impoverished to take on someone else to be a part of their family who's not even a part of your family, right? It's like, wow, those kinds of things stand out. Why? Because God hears the cry of that baby. God hears that, and now we are stepping into that, and now the world sees our good works and glorifies our Father who's in heaven, right? That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. When there's hurt, when there's cry, we're supposed to be stepping in and bringing good news to that. And it's not just people in other countries. It's people in our own country. It's not just people who are poor. There are people who are depressed, who have a lot of money, and they need the kingdom of God. And then another one of those hyperboles, it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to go in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Well, it's impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, but it's not impossible for a person to get into heaven. But it's real difficult. What's impossible for men is not impossible for God. There's a lot of people who are pretty wealthy. In fact, most of the people in the United States are pretty wealthy by the world standards. I wonder that means us. Maybe there's a lot of people here whose affluence is getting in the way of them entering the kingdom of heaven and we have the ability to bring an awareness to them. 
they don't even think they're rich because they're saying the people who live up on the hill, they're rich, right? They don't understand that some people live off of, you know, a month or what we make a month for a year. And we think, oh man, I'm barely making ends meet. It's like, what? You have a roof over your head? You have yeah, running water? You have, yeah, sanitation? You have cement floors, wood floors? You have carpet? We've well, got dirt, right? I mean, the reality is we don't understand how privileged and blessed we are and we're not grateful for it. And a lot of times we're like that camel, can't fit through the eye of the needle because we are wanting and missing what we need. And so maybe that's part of you know the kingdom. And so it doesn't have to always be the people who are just poor. It's the people who are lost, the people who are hurting, the people who are you know addicted to um, drugs or to ideas, things that are harmful to their soul. And the kingdom of God is reaching everybody in all those ways. I don't know, does that answer the question? <laughs> and worship means to give worth, right? So we're to worship him, we're to give him worth, which means to see his words as valuable. Follow. Any other thoughts or questions? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you challenge me and that you wake me up. Lord, these words are so striking and they cut against what I think in a harsh way that makes me recoil against them. And Lord, that was your intention to wake us up from maybe our own slumber to help us see, Lord, the importance that you play in even the most important things in our life, even the most important people in our life. Lord, if we were put people above you, we are becoming saltless. We are becoming of no value, even in our relationship to them. And help me to see what that means and to play that out, Lord. Help me to love better. Help me to love sincerely. Help me to love not because it makes me feel good, but because it is good for others. Um, even wake me up to that, Lord. Sometimes I think I love my family, but it's only because I get so much from my family. And I need to understand what sacrificial love looks like. I need to love like you. I need to allow your love to influence my way of thinking. And I do pray, Lord, that we would take these words and put them into our lives and into our practice and that you would help us to lay down, Lord, those things that we place of value more than you, that we would do all we can to make peace with you, Lord, that we would allow our lives to grow closer to you and not become complacent, not become neglectful, not become lazy in what we want as opposed to what you want for us. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.